Okay. Show me. Sometimes that is better. Welcome to the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast. Be sure you never, ever scream. A podcast where we will explore the dark corners of our world, the weird, the creepy, and the strange. There are no accidents, no coincidences. I am your host, Eric Carrier. The boogeyman is real. And they must be coming at night. My co-host is Jessica Carrier. Thank you for joining us for a journey into the unknown. Be one of us. Let's get started with today's show. Hey guys, welcome to the show. This is the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast, and I am your host, Eric Carrier. As always, I am here with my wife and my co-host, Jessica. Jessica, what do we have in store for our listeners today? Today, we are joined by author M.R. Gorga, and we are going to be discussing Demons and his Amazon number one bestselling book, Demons Among Us. This journey will take us into demonic possession, encounters with black spirits, terrifying nighttime visitations, the true character of Lucifer, and how these dark forces influence the world around us. It was a real pleasure speaking with M.R. His book is truly terrifying, and it is the perfect read for your Halloween season. If you are a new listener and you're here for the first time, welcome. If you've been around a while, welcome back. We know that there are a lot of podcasts out there that are competing for your time, and we appreciate you giving that time to us. Our show, however, does need your support. If you would like to support our podcast, there are a few ways you can do that. First, please share and keep sharing the show. This is by far the most important thing that you can do to help our show continue to grow. Next, please remember to keep voting for us each and every month in the Paranormal Top 25. This is sponsored by Paranormality Magazine, and you can vote for us at www.paranormalitymag.com. Another way to support our show is to check out our merch store or leave a tip or review. And lastly, come hang out with us on social media. We have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and love to hang out and meet you guys there. All of those accounts, our merch store, and our tip jar can be accessed through our website at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. Jess, is there anything else? Nope. Okay, let's get started with today's show. Alright guys, we are here today with M.R. Gorga. M.R. is an interesting guy. He is a former copywriter and journalist. He has also got some film and TV credits under his belt. But most recently, M.R. is an author who specializes in the paranormal and the horror genre. His book, Demons Among Us, is an Amazon bestseller and is the source material for today's show. M.R., welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. MR, in your bio, it says that you started crafting horror stories in about the fourth grade, which resulted in your teacher calling your parents. What happened in the fourth grade that got your teacher all excited? (laughs) Yeah, well, when I first uh, dredged up this story, I thought it was the fourth grade, but I think it's actually the second grade because I recently (laughs) found uh, one of those school photographs, you know, with all the kids and the teacher and everything. 
So it was one of those group photos and it was um, Mr. Bochetti. And I looked at the, it had like the, the grade there in the front and it was say on the, on the board, uh, grade, grade two. And I was like, grade two, I thought it was grade four all these years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but anyway, the story was we were asked to write a story. So I ended up writing this horror story about this you know, mummy on a murder spree <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Not what you would think of as from like, what, a six, seven-year-old, however old I was there, right? And I handed it in and I was like, I'm like, oh man, what's he going to think of this? And so I handed in and I uh, get a, a phone call. My parents get a phone call that same night <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm in trouble. Uh, I was like, oh no, he's going to, you know, tell my, my parents that I'm some kind of serial killer or something. And and so he ended up saying, you know, your son's got a real gift for writing. You need to enroll him into the Young Authors Club immediately. And so and that's how that, that conversation, right, it stuck with me all these years. It, it just sort of like directed the, the gift or the, or the talent, you know, that he was, he was able to recognize that talent at a, at a very early age. So it's so actually a good cool. story. Yeah, not like the uh, calls that we get from our kids' school. No. <laughs> <laughs> when I was, That's funny. When I was younger, I, yeah. I liked to draw, and so I would draw really scary things, and I had a few teachers that were a little disturbed by that. But I did have one mm. that was really encouraging. So I guess oh, it that depends good. on that's good. who the teacher is, right? How did you get interested in the paranormal? I have two answers for this, and one was, um, when we were kids growing up, uh, we lived in New Jersey at a two-story house. And when we were really young, we, um, uh, we were playing uh, in, the, in the first story on the, like the basement story. Uh, the laundry room was there. I have two sisters, and they were playing near the laundry room. And one day we were playing there, and I was on the stairs, and this ghostly, huge, white like, hand like, came out to grab them and they they freaked out and they ran up the stairs and freaking out and so they ran past me and that's kind of been like one of the stories that's always been in the family like ever ever <laughs> since is hey remember with the white you know ghost hand and but i grew up in that time when amityville horror came out and uh, the son of sam was on a rampage and i i just think that um there was just a dark fascination with that kind of content and material and it's just something that interested me ever you know ever since and why my parents took me to see the amityville horror <laughs> is uh is beyond me but uh <laughs> they did and uh it had a i guess it had some kind of impact as to to what kind of stuff i wanted to to write i think we can all assume that our parents made some questionable decisions in our youth <laughs> <laughs> it was the 70s so tell us about your book, Demons Among Us. Uh, what's the premise? If someone were to pick it up, what would they expect? When you pick up Demons Among Us, you can expect uh, a ripping away of the veil of the paranormal so you can see um, behind the curtain how the demonic realm and how that, that spirit realm actually operates. So basically, when you pick up this book, you're going you're gonna to read some really shocking true stories, just like the title says with some personal accounts, but you're also going to find some really, really uh, deeply, deeply researched historical account of demonic possession, uh, which was the first fully documented 
fully recorded eyewitness account of demonic possession in American history. And that happened some two decades before the Salem witch trials. And then you'll get a glimpse as to what kind of spirits and spiritual activity actually work in the society around you that you may be influenced by and you not even know that it's affecting your life or you're being influenced by it. And so that's what you can expect, the real deep dive behind the paranormal. Where can people find your book? You can find that on Amazon. Right now it's available in uh, Kindle and paperback versions. So you can pick it up there. But I will be expanding to other, uh, to other platforms as well. So uh, that's coming in the near future. So the book is a Amazon bestseller, and uh, you recently had the opportunity to interview with George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM. What was that experience like? Oh, that was, you know, it was a great experience. I think we did like a, I think it was a two hour show. It was a really long show. It was late for me. So I was, <laughs> so I was up pretty late. It was actually a really great interview. He actually said that, you know, complimented the book and then he said, well, it's going to be a classic. Um, so he really gave this amazing endorsement about the book. And uh, it really meant a lot to me uh, from him saying such great accolades about the book that was like a real validation for me coming from somebody who's been in the paranormal space for so many years and so re well respected and regarded in it. It was a really great thing for me. So it was, I was humbled. If anyone has seen it all, it's probably him when it comes yeah. to the paranormal. <laughs> yes. So for him to say that is actually a very great compliment. Yeah. There. Yeah. So I was, when he said it, I was surprised I wanted to fall off the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we will give you a good compliment as well. Both Jessica and I really enjoyed your book. And, Thank you. Uh, we Thank thought you. that it was fantastic. It. Thank you. So with so many paranormal topics, why demons? The, the book itself, it, it comes from personal experiences. And I had went through a string, uh, a week or two long string of midnight or nighttime assaults, chokings uh, with invisible hands, evil whisperings, scratchings, and, and things of that nature, these nighttime assaults. And demons among us is that answer because I just got mad and I said, all right, you're going to do this. Now I'm going to expose this realm because demons and dark forces and evil spirits don't want the light turned on like I did in Demons Among Us. So Demons Among Us is an answer to those midnight or nighttime assaults. You know, you're right. It is a topic that people, when they experience this, when they have these attacks, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want people to think that they're crazy. They don't want people to think that they're making up stuff. They don't want people to know how vulnerable they are. And so right. they often won't do anything or say anything. So that was actually the perfect way to fight back was right. to shed light on the topic. Right. And I'm glad you said that. They didn't want to, you know, they don't want to speak up because they'll think they're crazy. And part of the reason which, which fueled me is not, it was just not me at that time getting attacked, but it was, uh, I'm a, I function in ministry as a, as, a, as a prayer leader, as one of my ministries. And at, at that time, I asked, we were in a circle, it's about 25 or 30 of us. And I said, is anybody experiencing these, you know, nighttime attacks? And then I, I see one hand go up and then another hand goes up and another hand goes up. And so by the time it was done, 
had 13 hands raised and they were all getting attacked at the same time in the same manner. Uh, but nobody wanted to say anything because fear that they were, they thought they were crazy. And that was another thing that, that angered me was that, well, these people are being attacked, you know, they're attacking other people too, not just me. And that was another reason that, that fueled the decision to write the book, because, you know, if they're attacking me and they're attacking us and then who else are they attacking? It was experiences like this that brought Jessica and I into podcasting. We've had oh. some of these types of attacks in our life, and there were really not a lot of answers, and we wanted answers, and there was yeah. a lot of questions. And on top of boredom, we had questions, <laughs> and so we started a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But it's funny, because yeah. like when we first started talking about these type of things, we felt very vulnerable. We felt like yes. we were the ones that were exposing part of our life that maybe made us look evil or something. Yeah. But getting it out there actually, I think is a good thing. That's a very surprising thing that happened as I was writing the book. So I told people that I was writing the book and at first, again, do you think that people are going to think you're crazy for writing on this kind of material or this topic, but what it's done, it's done the exact opposite. And it's like, so the book is out there and I have people come to me and they're like, wow, you know, I read your book and I, I've had these experiences and I didn't want to tell anybody. And really, it's freed people up to really kind of open up to me and share these types of experiences. And one of the surprising things was my own mother. <laughs> so my mom read the book and, um, and she, right after, after she read, read the book, I was talking to her and she's like, you know, I had an experience when I was 16. I, I was like, you did? She goes, yeah, I never told anybody. You got to be kidding me. How did this like never come up growing up, living, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, being raised? Like, how did this never come up? You know, I'm not going to share the exact story because it's hers to share, but it was just a surprising thing that the book itself made my own mother feel comfortable enough to share something she's never told anybody. These attacks, they, they do seem to be somewhat selective. Why do you think that some people have these types of attacks and some people don't? Well, I can tell you for me, I, don't, I can't speak for everybody, but I'll speak f- uh, for me, uh, is just because of my stance and my beliefs, uh, my stance for Jesus Christ, uh, how I function in ministry, and uh, my faith. And once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the eyes... Uh, become open, and then you realize that you have, you know, a spiritual enemy that's against you, trying to thwart you, you know, to steal, kill, or destroy. So once you kind of enter into that sort of realm, you become a believer. You instantly have a an enemy um, because you basically change teams. Now, not everybody, not everybody knows that they're actually playing for the demonic or for the devil or for Satan. It sounds it sounds absolutely crazy. But once you become a believer, all this stuff kind of like opens up and becomes very, very real. So it's almost like you uh, become a warrior and so they yeah, show themselves. You be- yeah, you, you, you become, um, you, you get a target on your back. Mm-hmm. And I, I was grateful for, to have somebody tell me that from the outset. The person, first of all, who told me uh, about Christ and led me to Christ. And he was like, now you need to know that there is a, a real Satan, there is a real Lucifer, a real devil, and now get ready, get ready, because you're going to get attacked. That's really smart. You know, a lot of people, they 
join churches or get baptized and they don't know to really be on guard. And that's very smart too. Right. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, I'm grateful for that wisdom. And, and it happened very, very quickly. And I share this in the book. And so it was the first time, you know, it was, I knew nothing. Uh, I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew nothing about Jesus. I knew nothing about God. I knew nothing about the devil. I knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> and it was like the first time I, I was like, all right, well, let me give this prayer thing a shot, right? So I, I'm in my room and, and then I'm trying to pray because I don't even know how to do that, right? And um, all of a sudden I, I sensed this something behind me, behind my right ear, feel something kind of like a presence come in and come right, right there. And I shirked my, my shoulder to kind of shoo it away, whatever it was, but I didn't want to look because I felt it's evil. <laughs> and then uh, the voice spoke to me and it says, uh, you may have gone to God, but you belong to me. Uh, I'm never going to let you go. You'll always be mine. That's not frightening. But yeah, exactly. And that's when I knew at that moment that yeah, this was a very, very real thing because I wasn't hallucinating. I wasn't drunk. I wasn't stoned. I wasn't on drugs. I was completely 100% straight. And this was a, a, an actual audible voice spoken directly into my ear. And just to clear up some misconceptions about the voice of demons and the devil, it wasn't hoarse. It wasn't gravelly. It wasn't like, oh, good, oh, good. <laughs> it wasn't that. It wasn't anything you see in Hollywood. But the voice was very, very smooth, very, very placid, silver smooth, and even sounded like princely or regal. Um, but beneath all of that smooth fluidity was this, you sense this current of, of cunning evil cunningness you could sense cunningness behind on underneath it and so so it wasn't you know it wasn't like anything you see in the movies or any you know anything like that it was very very subtle smooth and cunning the words were meant to manipulate and to scare you <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah now that you've written this book have you found yourself to be under more attack i think so I think so. I, I think that um, I shared this on on some podcasts, and I I don't think that they really wanted this book to come out because the the day that I finished the manuscript and I was pre prepping it for my editor, that very same night I got in a near fatal car crash, and I don't look at anything as coincidence. Uh, I was going through a gr steady green light, and then. I don't know if somebody was asleep at the wheel or whatever, but they blew the intersection and took off my entire front end. And everybody said that I should not be alive. And so I, I really think that there was a hand of God in there because if you saw the pictures, no one should have survived. It was just a mangled wreck. So, but yeah, and I, I do believe that there has been uh, elevated attacks because of the book. Yeah, for sure. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. What do you think that demons are? Uh, I believe that demons are actually fallen angels, and uh, they are highly intelligent, highly um, powerful beings because they come from they come from heaven. So heaven was their domain for however long it was before they were kicked out. Lucifer started a rebellion, 
in heaven. He brought over a third of the angels to his cause to dethrone God was basically the, the his mission. Mm-hmm. And so he's highly, highly persuasive because if you can draw one third of the angels to him, you know, he's highly persuasive. He's militant. There's a militariness about him. Um, we can get into this later in the show exactly who, who Lucifer is and, and what he looks like. And again, he's not a monster. But yeah, these are, these are highly intelligent, supernatural, um, supernatural beings with powers and strength. And they exist now since they lost their home in heaven. They exist now in the cosmos and they believe that this earth is their home and that they own it. If someone was going to apply for a job as a demon, what would be the job description? Someone who can transform themselves into anything, someone with cunning craftiness, uh, someone who can uh, manipulate with ease and bring others to their cause without even knowing it. What would be their overarching duties or daily duties? Um, Manipulate, deceive. Uh, yeah, let's add. Let's have great deceiver to that list mm-hmm. as well. Deceive um, without people even knowing they're deceived. It's like being manipulated. Like you don't even know you're being manipulated. Um, deception and the the ultimate goal is to destroy one's faith, steal, kill, and destroy, uh, tear down the kingdom of Christ, and erect the kingdom of the devil. What do you think they want from us? They want to. They want to destroy. They they have a an eternal envy for mankind because since they lost their uh, being in the in the in the presence of God is a supreme thing. It's absolute ecstasy. And it's eternal. It's eternal joy, bliss, love, peace, all that stuff. And they lost it all. And they lost their domain. They lost their positions. They lost their authority and they lost their um, their roles and whatever they were functioning there. They lost their duties and all that, and um, they lost their purpose. So now they want to, since they have this eternal envy, because mankind has the opportunity to know God and mankind has the possibility to becoming the apple of God's eye just as they were, and they don't have it no more. And that's why they, they come after uh, humanity, because they're jealous or envious of what they lost, and they don't want you or I or us to have it. So they want our pain and our destruction. They want destruction, to steal, kill, and destroy. Do they yeah. want our worship? Well, uh, Satan has always sought to be worshipped, for sure. That's why uh, you know he was uh, part of his role, and in, in heaven was... It was thought he was to be, he was the music minister or the choir leader. And because uh, the Bible says that his body or his form was created with pipes and timbrels, which was musical instruments, along with uh, his body was formed with precious jewels, uh, gold, onyx, beryl, sapphire, ruby, all these different sardius stones all these different beautiful shimmering jewels. So Satan is not, or Lucifer is not a monster. Lucifer is actually the most beautiful creation God ever created in heaven with the most beautiful angel. 
and he held the highest position you can have. He was the covering cherub, meaning that he dwelt at the throne of God. And as the worship leader, angels sang the devil's songs, and he led millions upon millions upon millions in the adoration and the worship of God. So this, this Lucifer was, was, was heaven's rock star. He was like this shining, brilliant, genius rock star in heaven. And so just to kind of clear up any, any kind of misconceptions as the devil's not running around with horns and a tail and a pitchfork and he's not red, he's actually the most beautiful creation God ever created in heaven. And um, going back to what they want, they, they want to you know, deceive, steal, kill, and destroy, and they don't want you to have a relationship with God uh, in order to get back at him, too. So they want to hurt humanity to hurt God. You mentioned that they lost a lot of things when they left heaven. Are there yes. things that they kept? Well, they maintained all of their power. They didn't lose any of their. They didn't lose any of their power. They didn't lose any of their uh, supernatural abilities. They didn't lose anything of that. The only thing they lost was their home. And they kept their knowledge, which is different yes. from us. We kind of have this veil, but they they know everything. They do know everything. Yes. Are there different levels? Of demonic attacks, um, yeah, absolutely. So I, it goes in a in a few ways. You can have harassment. You know, you can just be harassed by demons or whatever. Uh, or um, you know, demons need people to do their bidding as well, and they function under the spirits of these demons. So it could be a harassing demon. It could be mocking demon or or things of that nature. So demons don't walk around like these these horned beasts but they do their work through people whether unknowingly or knowingly so they need people to to deceive and function in their uh principles and not under the principles of god so uh, all you and you don't need to worship at an altar of of uh the devil or worship the devil and light candles or you know in in the middle of a pentagram uh to be influenced by satan all you have to do is not be under the principles of God, and you're under the principles of the devil, whether you know it or not. So, and that's what's so deceptive is that many don't understand that if they're out of God's graces, they're they're in the devil's graces, uh, and they're they're under his influence, and they they're easily swayed by him because they're not under the governments of God, but under the principles and principalities that rule this world. And let me just get back to the, the levels. So you can have harassing spirits, oppressing spirits, uh, depression and anxiety and suicide, these oppressive, very, very weighty, oppressive spirits that um, get hold of uh, a person. And the most extreme form of demonic activity is possession. That's when a demon invades your body and uh, has control of you, you bodily. Speaking of possession, your book is divided into basically four different sections. And yeah. the first section is hauntingly true events. And this section chronicles the story of Elizabeth Knapp and yeah. uh, her possession. This yeah. is an historical story that I had never heard of before. How did you come across this story, and how did you decide for this story to be your main emphasis in this book? 
uh, I came across, I was doing research for um, something. I guess I think I was researching for, for witchcraft, probably the witchcraft section of this book. Uh, and it came across this story and, but it was mentioned just like real briefly. And it was like, you know, and then uh, Elizabeth, and the story of Elizabeth Knapp and this happened, dot, dot, dot. And I said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> what happened between these dots here? <laughs> right. Cause I'm, you know, come from uh, journalism and everything like that. So I kind of have like this thing, like, I want to know what's going on here. So that's what led me to start peeling back the onion. And then I realized there's a journal. And then in that journal, it's like it's just dated, you know, on a day to day basis, what's going on. And this and all this all this crazy, unbelievable, demonic, devilish stuff that was not covered in any anyone I've ever seen, like touched or just kind of mentioned this story. Did anybody look at this? Because this is absolutely like shockingly stunning. And the more I opened up and the deeper I went into this story, um, the more I realized that I kind of had to have this in the book because it was a really important story to tell. And it's very, you know, it's very dark. You know, there's a lot of dark things. And what they called it in the book was the atrocities that had befallen her and these, you know, afflictions and demonic assaults and attacks and trying to tempt her with all kinds of things. And uh, so the more I opened up this story, the more darker and demonic and, and fascinating it became. And I had to, I had to really share it in a way that became so very believable. I had to bring people into that specific period to understand the culture and the social norms and everything around it, because all that plays into the story. I was really impressed by the, I believe it was the his minister, the way yes. he handled the situation. Yes. His goals and his desires were different than what I would have thought someone's from that time period of be, would have been. I, you know, in my mind, I think everyone is just trying to burn witches or something, but he was very compassionate and very understanding and tried to really help Elizabeth. I really believe that uh, the period gets a really bad rap about being staunchly religious and staunchly um, doom and gloom and the devil. Well, in our age, we have none of that. And so it's dangerous to have to not have that, but it's dangerous to have too much of it. Right. So it's like, but he really was able to strike a real balance of being um, moderate in his belief and careful to call this witchcraft. And uh, he really took an approach that I don't believe most believe would not have been taken at the time where he was like, okay, let, let's rule out any medical issue. You know, they weren't going to just throw her into the court system to have her hanged. And so he really did something I believe was kind of fascinating for the time was he really, I really think he had the heart and compassion of God of, of how to do this. Cause he took this to prayer constantly. This is something he really, really took to prayer you know, he was just wasn't operating like, you know, on his own, you know, mm -hmm. thinking or you know, this was he put a lot of prayer into this thing is to to really seek on how to handle this, this such a strange, bizarre situation that very few have ever a at that period have seen and second have dealt with. 
So he was like one of the first to really uh, encounter this level of possession uh, at that period. Give us a brief overview of what Elizabeth experienced. Um, well, she, I can't give everything away, but she experienced a lot of seizureous assaults because she may or may not have been in league with the devil who wanted her to do some specific things. I won't get into detail and she wouldn't. And because of that, he basically gave her some serious demonic butt whoopings. <laughs> he, uh, you know, and he just gave her serious afflictions he he opened up to her uh, all the devils of hell and she says that there were more demons than there ever were men in the world and that's how she put it was it's like there were so many <laughs> of these things and he did it as a fear tactic to get her to do what he wanted to do uh tried to tempt her with various things she was very unsatisfied with with the work that she had to do because it was laborious. And so he was always saying, well, I'll give you ease from your work, you know, money and fine clothes. And, and so he would, he would tempt her in those regards, you know, to get her to do those things that he wanted her to do. And then ultimately was um, the final possession, which you can read about in the book. It's a fantastic story and it's worth picking up the book just for this story. I don't know why Hollywood hasn't picked it up yet. This would make a fantastic horror movie. Yeah, agreed. So this section also kind of chronicles some of your own personal experiences. The one that I related to the best was the one that took place in Florida in a house that you started living in. Mm -hmm. Can you share that experience with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was working at a newspaper downtown and I, I got let go in a round of layoffs which meant I had to leave my, my downtown apartment. And so I moved out west to um, a townhouse that one of my family members had left in a hurry and basically just abandoned. And so when I got there, I mean, it really looked like, you know, the monsters lived there. I mean, the grass was brown and overgrown and uh, the fence was, was raw. There's no, no color and it was just dilapidated and even the fence was swinging on its hinges with a creak. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, a horror movie. And then the, the house itself has these two bay windows that they look like vacant eyes that look out over the, over the property, over this long driveway. And it reminded me of the Amityville horror. <laughs> and so when I opened the door, which was even more hard, it was, was very heartbreaking because uh, everything was left inside. So it was like children's toys all over still there, you know, bills on the table, milk in the fridge, dishes in the sink. It really looked like they were coming back. It looked like they were going to run a favor to the store and, and come right back. That's how the house looked. And it was just crazy. So one night the room was on the upstairs on the second floor. Uh, and so I'm upstairs and I'm trying to go to sleep. And then I smell this rotten death-like smell and it smells like um like oh um, i don't want to say like it smells like death with like a a gaseous kind of fume like some corpse but with like like a gassy kind of note to it and i'm like what in the heck is that and so i'm smelling around smelling around so i'm, I'm like well 
let me go downstairs and see if it's like the garbage or anything. And there's no garbage. And um, I'm smelling around. And then I look up at the, the air vent. And uh, so I get the chair, I hug up on the chair and I smell the, the air vent is coming from the air vent and it's blowing directly into my face. It was like this deathly rot just breathing right on me. And so I'm like, hmm. So I get down, I go to the, the power box and I cut the power to the AC, hike back up onto the chair and the, that smell is still blowing out onto my face without any mechanical assistance, without any power. So at that point, I realized that there was something going on there that, uh, <laughs> uh, that was very strange and could quite possibly be demonic. You know, I, I really kind of sensed, had a sense that there was some activity going on in the home. And so then I went upstairs to go <laughs> to go to bed and I'm, I'm laying there, my eyes are closed and I see this shift in the light from beneath my eyelids, just this flash. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and so I, I roll over because I didn't want to see what was, what was there. <laughs> but out of the blackness, I heard a voice call my name and it's, you know, it said, real slow, real creepy. And it sounded very, very near yet very far as if it was spoken from like the back of a cave and, um, you know, winded real slow and long and serpentine. So then I rolled over and I opened my eyes and there was a figure in black at my bedside and it was tall, black, and it was lanky with crooked shoulders. And it was looming over me with its head cocked with this broad smile across its face. And it was, uh, it was hooded so you could see the semblance of, of the face in the, the depth of its, of its cowl, of its hood. And you could see it, I could see it smiling down. And as it's smiling down with this menacing grin, I look down and its hand is clawing up my chest because its intent was to kill me, because that's why it was smiling, because it was taking very uh, a sick pleasure in its, you know, its malevolence. And um, with that presence came a very, very dark power, very evil. You can feel the hatred emanating, emanating off of this figure. And it wasn't that you could just feel it on your body, but it was burning through my body like boiling tar, this venomous hatred it had for, for me and uh, quite possibly just mankind itself. But that, at that moment, it was me. But I looked at its robe and it was, it was strange because it was as, as 3D, as much as it was 3D, it was, it was spiritual as well. So there was like a I looked through it and I could see at the bottom, I could see through it. So it was as much as it was a body, it was as much as spirit. And, and at the bottom of its robe was very interesting because it wasn't like you see in movies, like it's shredded and it's tattered. It was, it was no, it was like really neat rectangular strips. And they went from dark gray to black and there was in layers. 
And so the deeper the layers were, the blacker it got. And they were moving at the bottom, like this watery motion as if it was underwater, like it was like float. And that was it. And, and that was the, the scariest thing that ever happened to me because I've had many experiences, but that was the first time I've, it ever manifested itself to the point where it was, I could literally feel it clawing, physically touching my body. And I won't tell what kind of claw you guys know, but you, I'm going to leave that so you can read the book. It's fascinating. But this thing was crawling up my chest to, you know, to kill me. Uh, and that's the story. It was the most frightening thing I've ever experienced uh, so far. This thing proceeded to choke you at that point, did it not? No, it actually, um, it was, it would have. <laughs> I was frozen because what happens, these things come with such a, a power, it really just paralyzes you for a minute. So along with like, you know, the startling shock factor, there is that, but there's also this paralyzing uh, presence. So you can't move for a minute or you can't cry out either because it kind of takes like your words away. And, um, and so it prevents you from calling out. But eventually, I was able to call out on, uh, on Jesus. And immediately when I did that thing, it became like a, a mist kind of like folding in on itself and just vanished away like this black mist, just gone. That's how I got out of that scenario. I'm a believer because this is so, so similar to uh, my own experience mm. that when I was reading it, it just kind of sent chills down my spine because I'm like, this is almost identical to what happened to Jessica and I. Wow. And we share that in our first podcast episode. So if you haven't heard that story, we would invite you guys to go back and check out that first podcast episode. Definitely. So the next section of your book kind of talks about how demons are in our world today and kind yeah. of how they're sticking their nose into our current businesses. Explain yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. So what people don't understand is like there, there's a lot of order to this realm and the plans and schemes and, and things that they have in mind in order to rule, control, steal, kill, and destroy. And they need people to do their, do their bidding. Now, when you talk about the, this demonic realm or this paranormal kind of realm, think of it like a corporation or an army. You have the head or the president, which would be Lucifer, right? And then underneath you have uh, offices and roles and functions. Now they all have their personal names. Like, you know, I have your, you have your name and we all have names, but we can best know them by their role or their function, meaning that there are spirits that create fear. And that would be a spirit of fear. There are spirits that create anxieties and that would be a spirit of anxiety. There's, a, there's spirits that drive people to suicide, which would be a suicidal spirit or spirit of suicide. There would be a, a, a pharmacoi uh, or pharmaceutical sorcerer spirit, meaning that these drugs and pharmaceuticals are also in biblically known as sorceries. So there's a sorcerer sort of spirit in the land, and, and it's medicating people <laughs> Uh, in a bad way. And I talk about that in the book. Uh, and there's, you know, spirits of lust and pornea, pornography. And so there's all these spirits that function and influence people in various ways that they may be under their influence and not even know it. 
Uh, right now, a big one running through the, the land and the world is a spirit of fear. And when you have a spirit of fear, you're easily controlled, you're easily bullied, you're easily led to, to bow to whatever the ideal is, whatever the, the, uh, the plan or the, uh, or the scheme is, you're, you're easily manipulated under, the, under a spirit of fear. We don't want to give all of the details of your book, but you talk a little bit in this section about how things like comedy are used to help these yes. entities. And I, I found that very interesting. And Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, it's, it's something that you really don't think of. Again, that realm, that demonic realm needs people. And one of the people groups that he uses is he uses comedy. You know, and in the Bible, out of 29 times that laughter is mentioned, only two times of it mentions it in joyous laughter or merriment or a happy manner, all the other times it's meant with mockery, scorn, and derision. And so these are used to manipulate and drive people to, um, to drive people away from a, a differing opinion and bring them to their side, meaning that they can berate, chastise, and this and that, and, and I'll call it comedy. Well, all the while, what you're trying to do is you're trying to, cre- you're trying to create this outcast or you're trying to demean this other person or people group while at the same time trying to sway them to your own opinion. And so uh, the demonic realm uses that to do that. This is also the section where you talk about the true character of the devil and his kind of true description. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Right. Uh, right. Is there other things that we need to know about the true character of the devil? Um, yes, there's a couple of myths there. You know, the devil is not walking around in red tights with a goatee and a pitchfork. One of the biggest misconceptions is that he's in hell and he rules in hell. That's a big lie because, first of all, he's not in hell. In one of the scriptures, it talks about he's like the god of this age or the god of this world. So he's in the cosmos. He's here on this planet. He's not in hell. He doesn't go there and rule demons because... Basically, what hell is, is a prison sentence for those who rebel against God, human and spiritual. So it's a place for rebellious spirits, whether that was a a person or a demon. Hell itself is a prison sentence, and it's a place of torment and torture. And that's where he's going. And he fears that because that's where, you know, when the devils cry out when the in the Bible talks about Jesus encounters a man in Gadarenes who is filled with all of these demons. And um, he says, well, tell me your, tell me your name. And the devil says, well, we were legion because we were many. But before they said that, they started crying out and and shrieking in fear at the presence of Jesus, because uh, they're saying, have you come to torment me before the time? Meaning that, have you come to, to throw me into hell before the time? Because they knew he had this power and he knew that they had that he had power over them. And so hell itself was a place created by God for those who rebel against him. And that's where the devil's going. He's not going there to reign. He's going there to burn and he's going there to be in torment for however long. Right. So he doesn't rule hell. He's not a hairy horns monster. Again, he's the the most beautiful Cre- angelic creation he ever created. And he 
His oh, um, his name is Lucifer, means light bearer, and because of the brilliance of his light that would come off of his jeweled body, right? And he was named Satan after his fall. Satan is a title, and that means deceiver or supplanter or adversary. So he was titled with that Satan title. And so there's, um, I talk about all that kind of stuff in the book as well. So I, I dispel all these kinds of myths about the image of, of the devil and Lucifer because it's been grossly misinterpreted. Nothing like that. And so that's why I wanted to bring that to light in this book as well. Do you feel that by knowing his true character, that gives us more power over him? Uh, it makes you uh, more aware of him. You won't have any power over him if you don't have Christ in you. And it's good to have the knowledge, but now that I've given you this knowledge in the book, it's up to you to what you do with it now that you know. Section three is called Dreams, Visions, and Warnings. This section also covers some of your own personal experiences. Yeah. Again, I don't want to give too much away in the book, but I think that uh, some of your, your experiences here are help to show how you came to a reality that there really is a God, there is a Satan, and there are demons. Right. But yeah, I can't talk about demons and darkness without talking about the light and other sides. There's uh, angels that have not fell from grace, and these angels, they're not babies with wings. They're not women. They are a warlike culture because that's how they got driven out of heaven. It was like there was war in heaven. And so these angels are supernatural as well, all the power endued with them, they are on God's side. They work on behalf of God for humanity. And again, this is a very, very strong, masculine, soldier-like, warlike culture, these angelic beings, these angels, because these are the angels that are coming back at the return of Christ. And it's a warring bloodbath because Christ and the angels, they, they are armies of heaven. It wouldn't talk about, it wouldn't say that it's armies of heaven if these weren't soldier-like beings. So we have such misconceptions of what angels are, but they're very powerful, they're very masculine, and they have a warlike um, thing about them. Usually soldier-like. when angels are mentioned in the Bible, people are scared. Yes, they're not just, oh, well, look at these pretty angels. It's like, no, right. they are terrified because of the yes. countenance is so terrifying. Right. They're so terrifying because of the, like, the power and the presence in, the, in that light. So when people see them, they fall down as they're dead. The Bible says they fall down like they're dead. And then the angel has to say, get up and stand to your feet and don't, don't worship me. Right. Uh, and that's where the devil differs because he'll be like, yes, yes, just keep worshiping me. <laughs> right. But yeah, there are a very, very powerful, very powerful beings. I don't want to say race because it's, I don't, I don't know how to term it, but just very, very powerful, supernatural group of beings. The last section of your book goes into some of the tools that we have in our arsenal to help fight some yeah. of these beings. Yeah. What are some of the tools that have been provided for us to help us conquer this? Well, first and foremost, you, you won't be able to do anything in the natural to ward off supernatural creatures and beings 
You can't light candles and hope they go away. You can't burn sage and, and all these kinds of things, and you can't wish them away. So you really have nothing you can do in your own power to drive these away. In order to drive away beings of this power, you need somebody who's more powerful than those beings to drive them out. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. So you really need Jesus Christ in your life in order to overcome these demons, because once they hear the name of Jesus, again, like the story, they vanish away like smoke. They're just vanquished. That's not to say you're not going to have assaults and attacks. Jesus said, I give you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. He's a mortal enemy. But Jesus himself has transferred that power into us individuals who put their trust in him and their faith in him and believe in him. He gives us this supernatural power that's greater than these supernatural beings. And that's how uh, we can fight them and overcome them. Is the authority in his name alone, or does it take his authority plus faith? Well, yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, you need to have the faith behind it. You can't just use his name like it's a, um, an incantation or um, a get out of jail free card. There's a story in the Bible that someone who tried to do that, and uh, uh, the Apostle Paul was uh, casting out devils, I think. I think it was Paul, and he was casting out devils. So he sees there's these, they're called the sons of Sceva, and they want to have the same power. And so they encounter this demon guy, demon-possessed guy, and he says, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out of him. And so the devils come back at him and say, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, but who are you? And then they decided to give him a spiritual, you know, beating, they tore these guys to ribbons because there was no faith behind it. They were just trying to use Jesus's name like a lucky rabbit's foot. And Jesus is more powerful than that. He's much more than that. He's not a, you know, just a, a booty call you can call on. There's <laughs> got to be a, a faith and a, a genuine and sincere faith behind it. And that's how you get the power. So it is, it's the name of Jesus given to those who are his followers and true believers. And even his followers and his true believers might have trouble with this because, I mean, even his apostles had trouble with this on at least one occasion mm -hmm. where they tried to cast out a devil and they couldn't do it. And they came back to Jesus and asked why. And he's like, well, yep. it's because you didn't have enough faith and it's because there was no fasting and there was no prayer. Right. And so there were multiple steps that seemed needed to be taken in order for uh, this to occur. Yeah, it's true. And, and there are like stronger demons. And so he says, he says, oh, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Does not come to mind like what, which demon it was. But uh, there are demons that you're, you'll need more uh, to do more to get them out. And that's a case in point. Uh, but yeah, so there are stronger demons, and sometimes there are, you do have to fast and pray to break off uh, what's called spiritual strongholds or spiritual grips on your life, and you, you'll have to enter a period of fasting because that invites the power of God and to break those chains. Now, Jesus performed many miracles, but yes. it was the casting out of devils that seemed to cause him the most trouble. <laughs> yes. Why do you think that yeah. caused him the most trouble? 
And when I mean trouble, I don't mean that it, he had trouble casting them out, but I mean that it was the populace and it was the religious leaders of that day that looked upon this with trouble. Yeah, well, they were troubled because their authority and their power was troubled. And so and he said to him, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. I am who I say I am, right? And if, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, how do you do it? Meaning that you, you can't do it. You don't do it. And so he's saying that if I cast out the devils by the power of God, that the kingdom of God has come upon them and that he was and is God in the human flesh, what he was trying to get them to realize that, yes, I am sent of God, all the fullness of God dwells in me bodily, and I am the Father, are one. And so he was trying to get them to understand that the kingdom of God has come, and by that power, he's able to cast out devils, which they were not able to do. So they had to really kind of come to grips with this Jesus was he God or was he not God? Because he's casting out devils and we're not. So I think there was a lot of envy there too, maybe. Yes, and that's exactly what it was. So you have this threat of power. You have this uh, envy, religiousness. And and so there was, there was like this this envy over his power. And then they, of course, they felt that they had the right to God. And Jesus mm-hmm. comes along and says, you've been doing this wrong for a long time. And now I got to come and correct this stuff. And I function by the power of God, and I do the works of the Father, and, and the kingdom of God is, is here and it's come upon you, and you, you must believe me, or you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It was also that he equated himself with God that, that really kind of stuck him in a crawl, but it was the casting out of devils that proved it. That's, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. And he also mm-hmm. told them that, Listen, the devil's not going to cast out devils because that's going <laughs> to cause right. the house to be divided. Yeah. He's like, I'm here. I'm casting out devils. This is your proof. You know, Jesus was pretty tactful in a lot of ways where I would have handled this a lot differently. <laughs> um, you know, hey, listen, idiots. If the devil was to cast out his own self, how would his house stand? How would he have, a, how would he have his club anymore, right? <laughs> like, so... Yeah, so he was pretty tactful. Satan cast out Satan. How can his kingdom stand? Which is 100% true. If the world has these misconceptions about Lucifer, what are some of the misconceptions that the world has about Jesus that are just not correct about his character? <laughs> There's a lot. First of all, like he's like this wimpy, starved guy, and he's, he's still on a cross. He's got no power, and he's carrying around a lamb on his shoulder and wearing flip-flops like he's a hippie from the 70s. And this really kind of is a dangerous thing because it feeds into the perception of, of Jesus's. And so when the Jesus that comes back, they're going to be so shaken and taken back by like, who is that guy? Because the guy that's coming back, and you have to understand that Jesus is a king. And he's not just a king. The Bible says he's king of kings. Lord of Lords, meaning that there is no other king that can p- compare to him, all stacked together, no Caesar, no czar, no president, no king, nothing compares to him because he's king of kings. He's king over all kings. He's Lord over all lords, meaning he has more power and might than all of them and all put together. So Jesus is a king. 
And not only is a king, he's a warrior king, meaning that he comes back to kill his enemies, those who hated him, those who despise him, those who killed his believers, those who, who mocked his believers, those who, those who would not serve and bow down to the satanic ideals and schemes of the day. They would not bow down. So Jesus is coming back as this raised Viking-like warrior, because it says that his, his eyes are flaming fire, he's fuming, raging mad. On his thigh, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming back, and he says that his, his robes are stained in the blood of his enemies, meaning that he's coming back to kill. It's, he's not crushing grapes. He's crushing people. So he's coming back as this crazed, vengeant, Viking-like warrior, and that's the misconception. The misconception is, is people think that there's this wiry Jesus walking around like a hippie, just forgiving, and, and everything's okay, and you can do this and get away with that. And no, it's not going to be none of that. No one's getting away with anything. And when he comes back, there's going to be a, a big surprise for people. And you can read about that Jesus in the book of Revelation uh, 19. MR, your book ends with the mantra, let's fight. Is there anything else that we need to know to conquer this and to fight on? No, just uh, uh, I have a prayer in the, in the end of the book. Um, I thought it was important for people because I didn't know how to pray. And this is a, a prayer that you can uh, use or model off of however you want to kind of mold it to your own self so that you can invite God into your life and then you can have power over these uh, demons and, and powers of hell and wickedness. And that will be your start, and that will initiate you into the armies of God, and that will initiate you into fighting alongside of me and the other believers. MR, we have thoroughly enjoyed having you on our show. Thank you Thank for you. being here. Tell our audience again where they can find your book. Well, you can find that on Amazon. It's available in Kindle and print versions. The Kindle version right now is $4.77. So for under five bucks, you can pull back the veil of the paranormal. And also you can get the print version as well. And um, people are really freaked out by the cover. They, I hear that they, um, a lot of people turn it over at night because they can't stand it <laughs> staring at them, <laughs> the creepy white face on it. And, it is uh, a creepy photo. So, yeah, so if you get that, uh, you can experience that as well. But it is available at Amazon. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, where should they look on social media? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook at Mr. Gorga, and you can find me on Instagram at uh, m.r.gorga, and that's where you can find me socially. Mr., what's in the future for you? What do you got planned? Oh man, I have so many really cool projects. I'm really excited about right now. Right now, I'm about 80% done with this, uh, with this script I've been working on, and I can't give away the beans, but it's uh, very witchy, mm -hmm. and uh, it's, there's a lot of uh, horror, and it took the period from uh, the 17th century because I got so familiar with it by doing that second chapter, so I decided to write this, uh, this other story, but I decided to write it as a script, so I'm 80% done with that screenplay. And then I have a second book that I'm working on, and that is, uh, can't give away the beans, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's a horror on a supernatural level. Is it fiction it, or nonfiction? Uh, that's a fiction, yeah, it's okay. fiction. Well, best of luck in the future, and thanks again for being on our show today. 
Appreciate Thank it. you. I really appreciate you having me on. It's a great time. All right, folks, that's the end of this episode. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you listening. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing through your favorite podcast player. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember that if you've had a paranormal experience that you would like to share, you can email us at prairielandparanormalpodcast at gmail.com, or you can submit that experience through our website at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. So, until next time, remember, don't be normal when you can be paranormal.